Well, at this time, if you would uh, take your Bibles and turn to Philippians, Philippians in chapter number two, and uh, we're going to continue our series, Rejoice in the Lord, and uh, we are looking at chapter two now. We've made it all the way to chapter two, and uh, we're going to be reading a very, very famous passage, uh, one that if you've been saved for any length of time, you're very familiar with, and that is uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, uh, the kenosis passage, and uh, we'll look at that uh, this morning. And if you would join me in standing for the reading of this passage, that would be, uh, if you're able to, that would be a blessing as we uh, show reverence and respect to the Word of God. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And let's pray one more time together. Lord, we're thankful for... Again, your greatness. Thank you that you are high and lifted up. Thank you, Lord, though, that you were willing to humble yourself and come to this earth in the form of a little baby, live a perfect and sinless life, and then die a, a torturous, horrible death on the cross of Calvary for us. Lord, to uh, pay for our sin and to offer us eternal life in heaven, but also, Lord, to be an example to us as well and and how we should act in our lives as well. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn these lessons today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Have you ever wished that you could have someone else's brain? Maybe for even just a little bit. I mean, maybe it's right before a big test in school, and you wish, you know what, that... That, that geek over there, I wish I could have his brain for just a couple minutes. Um, I was sometimes that geek, and I'm sometimes still that geek, uh, but sometimes I definitely wish I could trade with someone else as well. Maybe just before an interview, you're going and, and you want this job really bad, and you're thinking, oh no, if I am myself, I may not get hired, but if I was just could borrow someone else's brain, then I know it would go well. Uh, well, unfortunately, according to Wikipedia, there have been no recorded human brain transplants in history. And at this point in medicine, there's just way too many challenges and complications that make it really impossible for a surgeon to perform this procedure. So sorry to break it to you, but at this point in time, you cannot trade your brain for someone else's. I'm sorry, as much as you would like to do that, as much as I would like to do that at times, uh, I would... It's not possible. However, here in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5, we are instructed to put the mind of Christ in us. Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So he's instructing us here to perform a spiritual brain surgery, to perform a spiritual brain transplant. And last Sunday, if you recall, we, uh, we hit verses 1 through really verse 5, but in these verses we looked at the mind of a Christian. 
And we talked about that we should have a a like mind. Remember, one mind, one spirit. Uh, Be like-minded. In verse number 3, we saw that we are to have a a lowly mind. One that we, we don't esteem ourselves higher than someone else. And then we, in verse 4, we looked at uh, the fact that a Christian should have a loving mind. So that's what we looked, about, uh, looked at last week. And, and really, it's no wonder uh, that uh, Paul talks about the mind of a Christian here because he talked about the mind of a Christian in many of his uh, books that he wrote. In Romans chapter number 12, he talked about the mind. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind proving that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In Ephesians, he wrote to them, he said, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. To Timothy, he said, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So, and then in verse number five here in chapter two, uh, Paul encourages these Christians there at Philippi, these believers that made up the church at Philippi, He encourages them to also have the Lord's mind. Why? Well, of course, because the Lord Jesus is our perfect and ultimate example. And he is saying that as we mature in the Lord Jesus Christ in our Christian lives, we need to think more and more like Him and less and less like us. (laughs) To think like He thinks. And so, of course, that begs the question, what kind of mind did Jesus have? And so this morning, I'd like you to notice with me three characteristics of the Lord's mind as it is outlined here in verses 5 through uh, number 8. First of all, we see His mind of status. His mind of status in verse number 6. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But then in verse number 7 it says, He made Himself of no reputation. Those of us who use Facebook, um, they would, they would, it often asks, well, it used to ask, what is your status? And uh, just to let people know kind of what's going on with you and, and uh, your, your, your situation in life, what's your status? And, uh, and when it came to the Lord Jesus Christ, his status was, is, and always will be that he is God. And so, first of all, we see in his status, we see his deity mentioned uh, in verse number six again who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God and and, and if we go up to verse number five we also see uh, the fact that he is God mentioned in, in verse number five as well let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus you see the order of his name in verse number five is significant anytime you find the name of Jesus as Christ Jesus, the emphasis in that order is on His divine nature. The word Christ means exalted one and points to the fact that He is indeed God. So when it says Christ Jesus, you know that it's referring to the deity of Christ. According to the Bible, Jesus Christ wasn't merely just a great man or a good teacher, though He was both of those. According to the Bible, Jesus Christ was, is, and always will be God. John chapter 1, the very beginning of that gospel starts, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, 
And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Later on in that chapter, it says, And the Word, who was God, became flesh, was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus Christ, when he was born in Bethlehem's manger, was God in human flesh. In uh, verse number 6 here it says, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And so in his earthly life, he uh, many times referred to the fact that he was equal with God. And of course, that didn't sit well with the religious crowd in his day. John chapter 5 is one such example. In verse number 17, Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Well, the next verse says, therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And this was not okay with the Jews because there was one God. And yes, there is one God, but there is one God in three persons. One of those persons is Jesus Christ. God in human flesh. John chapter 10 is another example when he equated himself with God. John chapter 10, verse 30, he said, I and my Father are one. And then, he, and then it goes on to say, Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? Why are you picking up those rocks right now? What, what work did I do that is causing you to grab a boulder and want to throw it at me? The Jews answered him saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. You see, Jesus Christ was, is, and always will be God. John chapter 17 and verse number 5, in his high priestly prayer there in the upper room, he said, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So before God created the heaven and the earth in six little 24-hour periods of time, before that ever happened, Jesus was there and had the glory with the Father because He is, He was, is, and always will be God. Colossians 2 and verse number 9, Paul said this, For in Him, in Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So as someone looked at Jesus, they were looking at God. In this verse, we see that His mind of status that He was, is, and always will be God. But notice we see that He is also 100% man. Because notice not only His deity, but notice also His humanity. Verse number 7 starts with, but made Himself of no reputation. And then it goes on to say, and took upon Him the form of a servant, and made, was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself. So no reputation, made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man. For God to be willing to become man is beyond our comprehension 
to understand how great of a sacrifice that really was. I mean, you and I are men, well, and women, but for Jesus to be willing to leave the glories of heaven and the praise of angels, the streets of gold, and then walk on streets of dust, for Him to be willing to do that is beyond our comprehension. And I don't know that we'll ever quite understand the type of sacrifice that He made in coming to this earth for us. But He did. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 puts it this way, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. I'm so glad that he was willing to give up his riches and become poor so that I can become rich through his poverty. Jesus, of course, could have come in so many different ways. I realize we're still a couple months out from Christmas, but Christmas stuff is already in the stores. So I can talk about it, especially in Hobby Lobby. I think there's a continual section of Christmas no matter what year, what time of year it is. No, there's not. They take it out for one month and then they put it back in. But if you think about the fact that Jesus came in the form of a little baby, that was a pretty interesting way for Jesus to come. Because He is God, we already mentioned. And when God comes to this earth, you would expect everyone to notice. But when Jesus came forth, He did not come forth with great pomp and circumstance, no ceremony, no splendor, no great power. He came in the form of a little baby there in a manger in a lowly town called Bethlehem. How unlikely. It shows His humility. It shows His status that He wasn't willing to come and say, hey, notice me. Think about Him growing up. One of the things that he learned to do was carpentry. He's God. He doesn't need to be a carpenter, but instead he chose to do that because he made himself of no reputation. How many of us want to be noticed all the time? Hey, notice me. You know, I'm important. I want everybody to know that I'm here and that know what I do. Jesus was a carpenter. I would assume that as people walked by his carpentry shop and said, hey, Jesus, I've got, a, I've got a door that's off its hinges. Can you come over? Oh, yeah, I'll be over right away. That's Jesus. He made tables for people, probably. Uh, he made uh, pulpits for people, maybe. <laughs> so brother Scott, you're in good company, brother. I don't know what all he built, but... He was an average, as far as his, his career went, was average. You think about even in his ministry. At the end of his ministry, when he was betrayed by Judas there in the Garden of Gethsemane, there was nothing about Jesus that made him really like look like, okay, that's God. Because when, when, when Judas went, he said, Okay, I'll tell you who it is. I'll tell you who this Jesus is. He's going to be the one I kiss on the cheek. 
because they wouldn't have known otherwise. It wasn't like Jesus had this halo over his head walking around all over Israel. No one recognized that he looked just like you and me. Except he probably had hair. (laughs) He could have come in so many different ways, but instead he made himself of no reputation. The reason he did all of that is, uh, I think answered in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, it says, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, was, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. The reason he came and become a man is because he knows what it's like. He can relate to us. He knows what it's like to face the temptations that we face. And I'm thankful for that. So Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. How could this be? Well, I don't quite understand all of the truth. I I understand the truth that it is true, uh, but I can't explain it all um, because He's God. He doesn't have to explain it all. But Romans chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4, and if you've got a pen, I would jot this reference down because these two verses... Uh, indicate that Jesus is God and human human at the same time. He's he's God and man. Romans 1 and verse 3 says, Concerning His Son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So that's the humanity of Jesus. And verse 4 says, And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of the dead. That's God. The, that, that's Jesus, the, uh, the God-man right there. And the only way He could be 100% God and 100% man is through the virgin birth. If Jesus had an earthly father, He would have not been God. And that sin nature would have been passed down from the Father to the Son. But because He was born of a virgin, that didn't happen. And the virgin birth is essential, essential doctrine in the Christian life, and the Christian religion. So Jesus is both fully God and fully man at the same time. Neither His humanity nor deity is diminished in any degree, but the two natures are joined together in one person who is the God-man. In His birth, Jesus temporarily set aside aspects of both His position and His full exercise of divine rights. And that's where it says but made himself of no reputation. He set aside his position uh, and aspects of his position and aspects of his full exercise of divine rights, only using them as the Father willed. And as a man, Jesus experienced the full range of human experiences, like hunger. Jesus was there tempted or at 40 days and 40 nights having fasted there in the wilderness, and then he was tempted because he was hungry. So he knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to thirst. There on the cross of Calvary, uh, he experienced great thirst. He knows what it's like to experience weariness. He knows what it's like to grieve over a loss of a loved one when Lazarus, his friend, had died. He uh, had human emotions like love in John chapter 13. And, and he had great great compassion there in Matthew chapter 9 as he saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion he was also uh, dealing with anger there in Mark chapter 3 he but 
Through it all, he did not and could not sin. And he lived a perfect and sinless life. You see, Jesus was deity, robed in humanity, and for him to come to this earth showed a tremendous amount of humility and sacrifice. And when Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that mind is a mind of status where status didn't matter to Jesus. He didn't go and say, hey, notice me. Hey, everybody, I'm here. But how many times do we want to be noticed? How many times do we want the pat on the back? How many times do we want our name mentioned in a positive light? Jesus was willing to humble himself, and he came to this earth. I'm so thankful that he did. So we see, first of all, his mind of status. Secondly, we see his mind of service. In verse number 7, again, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. So if we're going to have the mind of Christ, we're going to have to have the mind of a servant. Being willing to do things that no one really wants to do. To have the mindset that I'm willing to serve, I'm not here to be served. And we see in this, we see first of all his purpose. His purpose, on <clears throat> one of the reasons he came to this earth, was to serve. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, if you recall, this was one of our uh, church memory verses a couple months ago, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come to be served and to have everybody wait on His every need. Now, He could have and maybe deserved to have had that happen, but that's not what happened. He came and said, I'm going to take it upon myself to be a servant. He came to serve and to show us what it means to be a servant. He came ultimately, first of all, to serve His Father and to do His will. Psalm 40 and verse 8 says about Jesus and His mentality when it came to doing the will of God. He said, I delight to do Thy will, O my God. Yea, Thy law is within my heart. So when it came to serving His Father, it was something He delighted in. It was something that He was glad to do. You know, I know that there are some servants that do it against their will or because it's an obligation. That's not how Jesus felt. He delighted in fulfilling the will of His Father. He delighted in serving His Father. Do you delight to serve the Lord? I know maybe there are times when it's more enjoyable than others. I understand that. But do you delight in serving the Lord? If we're going to have the mindset of Christ, we're going to need to be uh, servants and we're going to need to delight in our serving. To enjoy the opportunity to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. John chapter 4 verse 34 said this, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. So Jesus came to fulfill the will of His Father and that's why He came. But He also came to serve others as well. It wasn't just His Heavenly Father. He came to serve all of us. Now, of course, it's one thing to say that His purpose was to minister and to serve. And talk is cheap. But He didn't just tell us what His purpose was. He proved it. And so notice also not only His purpose, but His proof. 
his proof. And uh, we'll, we'll be back here in Philippians chapter 2, but I want us to turn over to John chapter number 13 real quickly this morning. John chapter 13. And let's pick it up in verse number 3, and I want to show you the proof of some of the, the fact that Jesus did come to be a servant. John chapter 13, verse 3 says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He was come from God and went to God, He riseth from supper, laid aside His garments, took a towel, and girded Himself. After that, He poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith He was girded. Now, for those of us who uh, understand that this particular job, this particular task of washing the feet of, of these travelers was only given to a servant. What Jesus was saying in doing that was, I am willing to be a servant and you need to be as well. And he goes on, the story goes on here in chapter 13, pick it up in verse number 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you? Ye call me Master and Lord, ye say well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye ought also, uh, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye, if you do them. So I want to point out this morning that Jesus was the ultimate example of servanthood. And Paul is telling us to have the mind of Christ. And if we're going to have the mind of Christ, we better have a servant's heart. We better have the mind of a servant. And he served his disciples and he told them to serve as well. He served the sick and the hungry. And if you notice when, he, when you read through the Gospels and study the life of Christ, most of the miracles Jesus performed were in many ways acts of service for somebody to help someone. Uh, maybe to heal the sick, to raise the dead. It was acts of service. Um, and that's what Jesus did. You might be thinking, well, you know what? I just can't work with children. Can I just encourage you with the fact that Jesus did work with children? You say, well, I just can't get my hands dirty. I mean, I've got some nice clothes here. Well, Jesus did when he washed the disciples' feet. He was willing to get down and get dirty. You say, I just can't talk to troubled people. I mean, they, they make me uncomfortable. Well, Jesus did when he spoke to the maniac of Gadara. Jesus was willing to serve and to do what very few people were willing to do. I want to encourage all of us to have a mentality of, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever is necessary in order to serve you. you know, these were great evidences that Jesus had a mind of service. But the greatest proof of all, as Mark 10.45 says, He gave His life as a ransom for many. And I want us to take and turn over to John chapter 19, and we'll look at this, how Jesus' greatest, Jesus greatest act of service was recorded. John chapter 19, verse 13. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth, sat him down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. 
They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? One of the saddest parts in the Bible here is the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and the two other with him, one on either side, one, and Jesus in the midst. And pick it up in verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and uh, put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. It was over. Jesus had become the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And that was indeed the greatest act of service ever in the history of mankind. So Jesus came to be a servant, and He proved it. He proved it ultimately on the cross of Calvary. So I want to encourage all of us to have the mind of a servant. When we're at home, when we're looking at the dishes, and we go, somebody else should do those. To take it upon ourselves and to have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ wouldn't say, somebody else needs to do those. The mind of Christ would say, where's the dish soap? Let me get into it. What about the garbage? What about cleaning up around the house and doing chores? No one likes to do them, but they need to be done, and a servant is willing to do them. A servant is willing to be to do things in a church that other people aren't willing to do. But I'm thankful for many good servants in our church who are willing to do whatever. Many of you have said, hey, whatever needs to be done, Pastor, I'm willing to do it. I'm so thankful for that mentality. That's the mind of Christ. But thirdly, I want us to notice quickly tonight, or this, this morning, we'll be done here shortly, uh, his mind of submission. His mind of submission, and this is found back in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 7. Again, he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and here it is, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So he was willing to submit again to the will of the Father. And if we're going to have the mind of Christ, we're going to need to have a, a mind that is submissive to the will of the Father as well. That we're not going to force our own will, and we're going to be willing to listen to Him. Well, if we're going to have a the mind of submission here, we're going to need to have the right attitude. And we see Christ's attitude here in verse number 8, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He had a humility that was necessary for submission. I've used this example a few times, but if uh, I were to tell one of my children to uh, pick up, uh, to do the trash... And if they go and do the action, but don't have the right attitude, it's not really submissive. If they go and say, fine, I'll go get the trash from all over the house and, and bring it to the kitchen. Oh, fine. 
And they go and march off and they make all these this racket and bang the trash cans against the wall and hey, I'm taking out the garbage. You happy now? Well, they're doing the right things, but they don't have the right attitude. And you know, when Jesus came, he didn't just do the right things. He had the right attitude as well. And his attitude was an attitude of humility. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was willing to humble himself. How much more should we be willing to humble ourselves as well? Dr. Ironside told of a church business meeting where a bitter dispute arose between members of the board. Oh, this was not Cornerstone Baptist Church, and I praise the Lord for that. <laughs> We've got a great, uh, great deacons and, and uh, great trustees, and I am so thankful for our, our business meetings that do not go like this, and I'm thankful for that. But here's what happened. Uh, Ironside said, I can remember one man springing to his feet and with clenched fists saying, I will put up with a good deal, but this one thing I will not put up with. I will not allow you to put anything over on me. I will have my rights. Well, an old Christian responded, you didn't mean that, did you? Because if you had your rights, you would be in hell. And you were forgetting that Jesus did not come to get his rights. He came to get his wrongs. And, uh, and he got them. And Ironside said, I can still see that man standing there for a moment like one transfixed. And the tears broke from his eyes and he said, Brethren, I've been all wrong. Handle the matter however you think best. You see, when we understand that who Jesus is and what he has done in our lives and what we really deserve, it, it should cause us to humble ourselves. And so before we insist on getting what we deserve, we would be wise to stop and reflect on exactly what that would mean. So often we insist on getting our own way, forgetting that Jesus did exactly the opposite. If Jesus had insisted on clinging to and receiving his rights, we would have no hope of salvation. I'm thankful that he was willing to give up some of those rights so that we could be saved. Now, to be submissive to authority requires humility, and Jesus expressed that uh, when he was submissive to his Father's will, and it was evident in his humility. So he had the right attitude, he had uh, the humility, but then he had the right actions as well. He became obedient, verse number 8. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, and not just unto death, but the death of the cross. He was willing to actually do what was required. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Some of us have the right attitude. Hey, I'm willing to serve, but when it's actually time to serve, uh, something just came up. <laughs> I'm busy. Jesus followed through, and he was actually obedient. And to the great lengths of death, even the death of the cross. Uh, just a reminder, crucifixion, the death, of, the death on the cross, was the most painful form of execution in the ancient world. It was cruel and unusual punishment of death by suffocation that could take days to accomplish. Death by hanging, stoning, or even burning was considered an act of mercy in comparison to crucifixion. It was so painful that a new term was coined in Latin to describe the agony, excruciating. Crucifixion was not just execution, it was also torture. And that's what Jesus did for you and for me. 
I'll share a story here. In uh, Ernest Gordon's true account of life in a World War II Japanese prison camp, it was a book called Through the Valley of Kauai, there's a powerful story that illustrates the mind of Christ and what it looks like to have that mind ourselves. It's about a man who, through giving it all away, literally transformed an entire camp of soldiers. The man's name was Angus McGilvery. Angus was a Scottish prisoner in one of the camps filled with Americans, Australians, and Britons who had helped build the infamous bridge over the River Kwai. The camp had become an ugly situation. A a dog-eat-dog mentality had set in. Allies would literally steal from each other and cheat each other. Men Men would sleep on their packs and yet have them stolen from under their heads. Survival became everything. The law of the jungle prevailed. That is is until the news of Angus McGilvery's death spread throughout the camp. Rumors spread in the wake of his death, and no one could believe Big Angus had succumbed. He was strong, one of those whom they had expected to be the last to die. Actually, it wasn't the fact of his death that shocked the men, but the reason that he died. And finally, they pieced together the true story. You see, the Argyles, who were the Scottish soldiers, took their buddy system very seriously. These Argyles believed that it was literally up to each of them to make sure that their buddy survived. Angus's friend, though, was dying. And everyone had given up on him, everyone, of course, but Angus. He had made up his mind that his friend would not die. Well, someone had stolen his partner's blanket, so Angus gave him his own, telling his buddy that he had just come across an extra one. Likewise, every mealtime, Angus would get his rations and take them to his friend, stand over him and force him to eat them, again stating that he was able to get extra food. Angus was going to do anything and everything to see that his buddy got what he needed to recover. But as Angus's friends A friend began to recover. Angus collapsed, slumped over, and died. The doctors later discovered that he had died of starvation complicated by exhaustion. He had been giving of his own food and shelter. He had given everything he had, even his very life. And the ramifications of his acts of love and unselfishness had a startling impact on the compound. As Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. So as word word circulated of the reason for Angus McGilvery's death, the feel of the camp began to change. Suddenly, men began to focus on their buddies, their friends, and humanity of living beyond survival, of giving oneself away. They began to pool their talents together, Uh, One was a violin violin maker, another an orchestra leader, another a cabinet maker, another a professor. And soon the camp had an orchestra full of homemade instruments and a church called the Church Without Walls that was so powerful, so compelling that the Japanese guards attended this church. The men eventually began a university, a, a hospital, and a library system. The place was completely transformed. A powerful love Revived all because one man named Angus gave all he had for his friend. 
For many of those men, this turnaround meant survival. And what happened later is an awesome illustration of the potential unleashed when one person actually gives it all away. Can I encourage you with this thought? Jesus Christ actually also gave it all away for us. And if we would just adopt His mindset, imagine what God could use us to do. Imagine if we stop bickering and we stop being selfish. We start adopting the mindset of the one who died for us. Imagine what kind of transformation this world would see, our home would see, our, our schools will see, our church would see, our communities, our workplaces. Uh, if we would all just adopt the mindset of Christ, as Paul said in verse number five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have you ever said that you felt as if you were about to lose your mind? about something. I know there have been many times in my life that I felt as if I were going to lose mine or maybe felt like I did lose my mind. Well, what Paul's encouraging us this, this morning is to go ahead and lose our mind and replace it with the mind of Christ. Stop being selfish. Stop thinking it's all about me. Stop being, uh, I want everyone to serve me. How come no one meets my needs? And to start being a servant, start being submissive to the will of the Father. So I'm encouraging all of us this morning is to indeed lose our minds and replace it with the mind of Christ, which is a mind of status or no reputation, a mind of service and a mind of submission. And let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you for the mind of Christ that we see outlined here in, in this passage, uh, a very powerful and rich passage. And Lord, there are so many other things I could have said this morning. But Lord, I pray that these simple thoughts, uh, you'll, you'll help us to adopt the mind of Christ for our own selves. Help us, Lord, to not think just about ourselves. Help us to think about things of others. Help us, Lord, to be willing to submit to the will of the Father, and be willing to be obedient and humble. Help us, Lord, to be a servant and to not think that we need someone to serve us, but rather I need to be serving others. Help us to remember that the greatest in your kingdom is the servant of all. And Lord, I pray that it would transform our homes. I pray it would transform our workplaces and our schools and, and even our, our church, Lord, would, would grow in this area. And ultimately, Lord, our world, if we just have a bunch of people thinking like Jesus and acting like Jesus, imagine, I can just imagine, Lord, the, the transformation that would take place. I pray, Lord, you'd help us each individually, though, to make the decision to let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.